0: What's up everybody, welcome to The Motion Show, episode one of season two, that's right we're starting season two right now because Anchor just made it possible to have interviews using your phone as your podcast mic. Now I'm able to send a text message to my guest, they click on it and remotely from wherever they are can join my show. So this is great. So DM me if you want to be on the show and just bullshit a little bit. I like to have people from all walks of life on here. I'm looking forward to having musicians, actors, um, marijuana enthusiasts, and uh, everyone who runs the gamut. See if I can find a botanist somewhere. Maybe get my buddy Bob, the biologist, on here too. Who knows? It's going to be a lot of fun. I don't even know what's going to happen a lot of people have been hitting me up so I got a lot of guests already lined up and hopefully be a little more consistent with putting these out because um, consistency is probably going to be key with getting you guys to listen and I hope you'll listen because I think these people have some great stories to tell and I think conversations are really the only way we're going to break down some of these barriers and get to learn what other people are thinking and how opinions form and, and change over time and So anyway, um, this episode was super fun. I had a great time talking to Jenna Harvey, who's running for Congress in the 2nd Congressional District of New Jersey um, to represent South Jersey. She's moved all over and lived all over South Jersey. She has pulled herself up from her own bootstraps, by her own bootstraps, however you say it, Um, from being 17 and having a baby to getting off of welfare and food stamps and becoming a badass in business and nonprofit work and all walks of life. I mean, she's really got a great story. So, I urge you to go to jenna4sj.com to check out some of her policy positions and give this interview a listen because it really humanizes her and lets you know that she is caring, empathetic, funny, charming and just a really chill person so without any further ado here's my interview with jenna harvey
1: so i am on my cell phone through my cell service line not the wi-fi at the moment and i'm in my she shed which i live in a neighborhood and there is a train nearby
0: so so we may hear a train whistle go off at some point
1: Yes, I also have a neighbor who apparently despises grass growth. He keeps it at about a half inch, <laughs> and so that if any of those things pop up,
0: I know we'll just maybe take a pause. I know, I know how you feel because I feel like putting out a uh, notice to my neighbors. We all cut the grass on the same day because I feel like. I'm going outside it's a beautiful day and neighbor on the left is cutting the grass. Next day, beautiful day, neighbor on the right's cutting their grass. It's like <laughs> every day they're cutting. It's like they just decided we're all going to cut our lawns on a different day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if communities could come together around when to operate loud machinery, it would be more pleasant. We can put that on the list. Yeah, of, we can
0: put that on the list. We got a lot of problems going on in the country right now, but um, you know, that's part of why you're here not only are we um, you know is and I'd like to call us friends because even though we were only together in high school for a short time I definitely remember you you definitely remember me so that counts right
1: it does I would definitely call you a friend Gooch and um, I think I have referred to you as much when you've not been around so yeah we'll go with that title
0: well I, that. I think we're both I think we're on—we're both uh, on the same side of many causes and many uh, things in life. So, um, just from you know, you can you can actually judge a lot from a person's social media account more than people think.
1: Yeah, it probably depends on how honest they are, maybe, true. and how much how real who they mean to impress.
0: That's true. This a lot of people use their Facebook page as, um, you know, like a highlight reel, and I try. You know, I try to be conscious about that, about not doing that. And I think more on my podcast, I tend to be super honest and let people know when I'm not feeling good because I don't like to complain on Facebook, but I also like to put it out there when things aren't going so great so that people know, you know, I have ups and downs.
1: That's, and that's important because I don't know, you, you heard, you hear the buzzword of stigma. And that's one of them. There's a, there's stigma around things like having a bad day or feeling too busy. So we have all these. So when you're going against what the community says is good, or if you're going through a struggle, um, it's good to share those things too. Cause if you're only highlight reels, people, you're going to be unapproachable, first of all. Yeah. Um, and, and secondly, that's not empowering to anyone. So I I love Pinterest. I like getting crafty, but you have to know your limits and you have to remember who you are. And social media is a lot like that.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So um, I'm super excited that you're taking on this this weight, this challenge of running for Congress. so I, I guess let's let's start back a little bit of like I, I remember we met in high school because you moved to our town and you went to our high school, but then you disappeared, and uh, so you moved around a lot when you were younger. I guess correct?
1: Uh, that is correct. I think just this week I realized that I have about a two to three year shelf life in any given role. Um, with the exception of parenting and my marriage, right. so jobs, <laughs> uh, so as a kid, I lived in Bridgeton, uh, until I was about 10, right on Pearl street in Cumberland County, and then moved to Pittsgrove right next to Parvin state park. I used to ride my bike out there and, and wander Parvin's in my preteen years
0: that is where my wife is from so i know that oh really okay i didn't get, get more familiar with that area but i mean i i grew up around here so i know i know the area pretty well so uh so go on so where
1: yeah that, so that that was a gorgeous area i've got a few little chill spots around Parvins. Mm-hmm. um sometimes i try and find where i carve my name or something into it a table or a tree that's so funny. and um a wife and yeah I carved our, we
0: carved our names into an oak tree where we got married see you and i are i said we're so much alike it's it's hilarious the more i talk to you the more i realize it. like when i texted you and said uh my wife didn't wear shoes when she got married and you were like me either <laughs> no
1: i didn't um yeah i love i love being in nature so being right near Parvins was great i remember though being unsettled moving from Pearl Street in Bridgeton to Pittsgrove. And we moved in the middle of summer. The Olympics were going on. So I guess that would have been 96. Okay. The 96 Summer Olympics. I remember this Good clearly. Sure. And uh, I remember that it was so quiet in Pittsgrove out in the woods and I didn't like it. Um, it was weird to not hear cars and yeah. people yelling at each other and like music and it's weird. It's really weird. Um, sure. So I lived I lived there till of the year I I guess tenth grade. We moved to Daretown Lake, right outside of Woodstown, and into the house that my dad grew up in. And it's right on Daretown Lake. Okay. Again, gorgeous scenery. It's the big white house next to the mill. You ever go to Daretown?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I know exactly where you're talking about.
1: Yeah. So that big house, I lived there briefly when I was about five to seven as well. Um, but my dad got ownership of that house from one of his family members and we moved into it and he was, he was newly married. Um, and I was a teenager and I had just left private Christian school to go to Shalik high school for ninth grade. Um, Probably made some friends that had new kinds of habits and stuff. So I started getting into that party scene a little bit. Okay. Um, Moved out to the middle of nowhere in Woodstown, Daretown. (laughs) Yes. Tried like hell to get rides out of Daretown. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I was always really good at school work. It never was, I was like school. I, I was very motivated to learn um, what about, so going what about, Woodstown? what about,
0: friends, though? <laughs> like, like, did you have, uh, anyone who you stayed in touch with that was kind of like a best friend or someone that you had in your life, or did you just kind of pick up new friends as you went?
1: So friendships, I had the same best friend from kindergarten to like fifth grade. Okay. And then the same best friend from seventh grade till now.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. So
1: my best friend since seventh grade is still the person I talk to about the most. Okay. And she just bought a house next to Parvins um in that same neighborhood that I grew up in. And I now live in Rosenheim. She's about three minutes away.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough. I um I just went to Nashville in September and I my uncle is in the process of moving down to North Carolina and I love it down there. And a lot of people don't realize how southern South Jersey actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people people from, you know, Midwest or California, they think of Jersey. I'm sure they're not thinking of the same Jersey that we know. And, uh, you know, but I can't, I can't bring myself to leave sometimes because I just, I love the area here. It's, it's, it's actually really beautiful. And, um, you know, so it makes me excited to see that you're fighting for causes in the area and running for Congress now. Um, so... I'm trying to connect the dots from how you got to, you know, moving, around, I think is great for a lot of people. I think that teaches people a lot about life when they move around, do a lot of traveling and, and things like that. It just, it teaches, you know, good values and good morals. If you, if you do it right. And and it teaches you kind of to toughen up, don't you think?
1: It, it does. I think the big key is perspective. Um, When you, Spend all your time in the same place with the same people. Right. You. It's like an echo chamber. It is. So, and it is, and it's not just like an echo chamber. It's just like this is the world. Yeah. Hold on, I'm, we're about to be interrupted by a seven-year-old. I think mm-hmm. I forgot to put that on my list. That's
0: okay. Big. Sometimes, sometimes a dog or a cat or a personal ramble into my room when I'm doing a podcast. So.
1: They're refusing to do that. <laughs> You, you can take you that. forget what your big sisters are refusing to do will you come say hi to my friend gooch i'm i'm recording a podcast right now
0: yeah what's up buddy
1: wait so can you say hi hi my name is hi, my name is lola. hi her name is lola oh. go ask uh go ask your sisters tell them that i said to walk you over and see if she can play it's an order
0: this just shows how, how much of a multitasker you are and
1: yeah.
0: it only adds to, you know, I want people to get to know you, you know, I, when I saw you were running for Congress, I thought, man, how cool is that? But I really want people to get to know you and just have something they can listen to and, you know, hear like, just hear like that, hear your kid. come.
1: So how many kids do you have? Uh, we have four daughters. Four daughters yeah that so my oldest i had two i had one at 17 she is now 16 um i had one at 19 who is now 14 i met my husband he has a daughter right in between so at the moment they are 16 15 and 14 but there's sometimes there's two of one age and then two of the younger age it's really weird they're all within a year less than a year oh my god and then my husband and I had our fourth daughter. She is seven. So we had like a seven to nine year age gap.
0: Oh, wow. That must be.
1: And I thought she'd be a boy. I thought for sure I like appeased the gods and I was going to get that son I always wanted. But instead we got a little girl who loves power tools and the forest. So yeah. it's, it's
0: cool. You think-
1: she's, she's, my youngest is a miniature version of myself. There's
0: never been... A, a better time to be uh, multifaceted.
1: No, absolutely. And I think uh, I'm encouraged when I see a kid like explore, because we have, we're in an age of technology and it's very easy to to tune into a screen or something and tune out of what's around you. So I got a kid that's like naturally inquisitive and I'm like, cool. That's- I like, you know, teenagers, I think in general are, are centered, self-centered, but you know they'll come out of it too. I'm sure.
0: Well, it's just it's crazy because they know so much more at such a young age than than they did. And I and I mean that's just, I guess it's how humanity works. But I mean, with the with technology nowadays, I mean my my brother has a baby. She just turned one, and she looks at the screen and she's grabbing for it. She wants the screen. You know, she wants to hear music. She knows that there's. A, in in that screen somewhere so it's like hmm you know this could be a great this could be a great thing I've heard people say you know teach your kids technology as soon as you can get them you know immersed in it because that's the world they're going to live in then I know other people that are like take keep it away from them and send them outside in the woods and you know me I grew up in the woods so probably in that case but
1: and that's this is a thing to remember about technology and kids. Anyone can use a smartphone. These things are created, you know, orangutans use smartphones to communicate. Like that's not a huge lift. Someone figured out how to grab our attention and how to like monetize these little games and how to make you feel like you accomplished something by only moving your thumb. Yeah. And so you want to prepare your kids for technology, but prepare them to create technology, yeah. prepare them to improve it. Don't just prepare them to consume media. There's, and that's, that's a dangerous path. I think we might be on. Yeah.
0: I think you're hundred percent right. You, there's, you know, teaching them how to code, teaching them how to, you know, build websites, teaching them how to use the technology so that they can have it, you know, at their fingertips to help them with whatever, uh, you know, career choice they might use or choose And uh, that's a that's a great point. Never really thought about that way and keeping them off of because, yeah, like they do these gaming things and even Facebook and social media. It's it's been widely reported on that. They created this stuff to be almost like slot machines and to give you a dopamine hit when you get a new like or a comment on something.
1: It is, man, you get that little. So I studied psychology in college all the way to the master's level in experimental psychology is my master's degree well, so this what I went to
0: college for that's what I went to college for so like yeah. we're on the same page we're like always we're analytical we're thinking of things psychologically and breaking them down and I think you have a lot of empathy as do I and um so we we have that in common so it's like interesting to hear your perspective on things
1: yeah, Guruji, I think we're the same person. And I don't know when <laughs> there was some split somewhere, we maybe might. um so much in common. But I mean, but do you I feel like studying psychology is underrated? It, Would you agree as a psych major? Um
0: what did you, wait, what did you ask?
1: Do you think that the study of psychology is under or overrated? Like do you think it gets its its
0: due It'll respect? Underrated. And see. I went to, I went to college because I was, uh, it was after my accident. I was paralyzed. I couldn't take on the full college load. But so I would do it in pieces. You know, I would go part time and I went part time for political science. I worked on Obama's campaign as the youth outreach coordinator for South Jersey. Then I switched Mm -hmm. to psychology for like two years because I had friends and family members who were falling victim to drug addiction. And I wanted to try and learn about the psychology of that, and how to help them. And, and through, that, through that psychology, even though I didn't get like a degree in it, I learned so much through those classes. And then I ended, so I did six or seven years of college, and I ended, with I switched to journalism. So I have studied science, psychology, and journalism. And I am super happy with the education I got. I don't care about the degree at all.
1: Well, I mean, all of that is relevant yeah. to each other, and there's, you know, have you ever heard the Dunning-Kruger effect?
0: Mm, explain it to me again, maybe.
1: All right. So, Dunning-Kruger is this is an idea that it's a uh, the more that you kn- your knowledge of a topic influences your confidence in your knowledge. Right. So for people who read this, these are your real life examples. Someone who reads a headline and the first two paragraphs on an article about racism and police brutality is like, yeah, I read an article about this and I'm informed and they might go start hours long conversations based off of half a news article that you have a researcher who studies police brutality and racial biases. They are way less confident in their knowledge. They will, their conversation with you will be peppered with, but in this case, and if you add that, and we really don't know if, and there's this intellectual humility that comes with the more, you know, so the more, you know, the less confident you are that, you know, it all. and so people that have just their toe in are like, yeah, I know how to swim and people swimming are like, yeah, this is the ocean, dude. There's so much. I don't know. That's a great point.
0: And, uh, you put it so well because uh, I was—I was just saying that to a friend of mine. It was like the more I know, I feel like the less I know, and it's like I just—it's like it opened my—it opens my mind to a whole new world of ideas. That I'm like, man, I'm really going to have to study that whole topic now just to be to be able to speak on it because I don't want to go speak on racism or abortion or or any of these topics that apparently now are obviously on the tip of people's tongues because it's such a divided political uh, arena. Now people are just putting their stuff on Facebook. They're, they're putting everything they feel out there. And like you said, they read a headline and maybe half an article and they think like, okay, I know what's going on rather than, like reading that whole article and then finding another article related to it and maybe has a counterpoint. See, I like to know both sides. I like to be able to argue both sides, like in my mind, if I want to, I want to argue, I want to know what the other side is thinking. It's almost like know your enemy or something like that. But it's like, I I also want to have empathy for that position that someone has.
1: And that's so important for actually making anything come right. Because you don't want someone who's ranting and and only partially informed. And you also don't want someone who wants some, like everybody being lost for the forest because they're staring at the tree, you know, like want to be able to say, all right, I know, I know where to get good information. I know what my gut is saying. I know what's just or fair or what power I have. So I'm going with that. We're only ever going to be ourselves. Um, And you should be informed. But at some point, it's a lot of these questions we're facing are not questions about how a virus spreads, or how people see other races. It's about like, are you doing the right thing in that moment? Are you taking the care that you need to take? Is the thing that you're going to rush out for really that important? Is the thing you're asking for really the thing that's going to help? And yeah, we it just it's a matter of taking your time and and seeing what you're presented with. Um I think I don't know. I say that as I'm taking up these causes and running for congress, yeah. but I'm I'm seeking out the opportunities, but I think the important thing is to keep that intellectual humility. Yeah.
0: And, and emotional it, intelligence as well. Like I think that's mm-hmm. that's a big thing that psychology taught me, especially since I was uh very uh into like studying drug addiction and what was going on with everyone. Cause was at the height of like the opioid epidemic. And, um, so I feel like studying psychology gave me a ton of empathy and a ton of humility to be like, okay, I can't make other people think the way I do. I need to understand that. And that is never going to change. Um, all I can do is try to be an example a living example and hope that they gravitate towards that and maybe, you know, grab onto a piece of advice or something like that. But it's definitely taught me empathy and humility towards other people who are going through different things. Everybody's, everybody's struggling. Everybody's fighting a hard battle and I have leukemia and uh, I'm a quadriplegic. So I have a lot on my plate, but I don't, I don't sit there and go, Woe is me, like mine is worse than yours. Somebody with um a mental depression, you know, they might be going through some through hell that feels in their mind ten times worse than anything I've gone through. So I don't ever like to assume I know someone's pain or or that I know their position without taking the time to try and get to know them. I think that's how we're gonna be able to try and heal the country. So I think um, you know, that would bring me bring me to ask you, what do you think are your main like objectives and some of your main um, drives towards this run for Congress?
1: Um, so it's been a lifetime idea that I would like to be in the federal government. I was a really weird young kid. I had a, a framed copy of the Constitution on my wall and an American flag. Um, so it was, it was weird. I spent one summer trying to learn one fact about every U.S. president. It was Like I was a weird kid. Um, so that carried over. Um, I, I've just always been, I was really excited to be able to vote when I turned 18. I mean, I had a child already and was, I was probably just as excited about being able to go to the voting.
0: I know Um, I, I was as well.
1: I would I would not have cast the same vote again, I don't think, but I mean I was I was there. I wanted to be a part yeah. of it. Um and I've I've built my a career up. I definitely stopped paying attention to politics as much. I'll occasionally watch C SPAN if something interesting is going right. on. I like to watch Senate hearings. Yeah. Um I don't I tried the pundit thing. Yeah. Um that that got on my nerves. I don't I know, I know way more informed people I could ask questions to right. than probably anyone on cable news. Um, you just have to not, and you have to, have to uh, it out. What was that? I said, yeah, and it's not, it's
0: not hard. Like people act like it's hard, but it, if you seek it out, you can find good information and find people who are knowledgeable. And um, I, I feel super grateful that I actually live in an area that's. Well, you live here too, so you know it's very conservative. Um, and I, I have views that are all over the map. You know what I mean. I, but I'm, I'm an independent. I'm center left on some things. I'm center right on some things. And uh, you know, it's just it it blows my mind how divided everyone has become
1: it i mean and this is the problem too i am absolutely independent i am i believe i'm registered as a libertarian but i think that was just so that a third party could get some legitimacy around here Um,
0: describe pretty well what you and i stand for wouldn't you think
1: yeah no i'm definitely when you say center a little center left a little center right i would definitely say that i think fiscally so I was a food stamp mom that had to repay the food stamps cuz I went to work too soon. That's literally an experience I had in my I life. I know she, um,
0: no, I know. <laughs> it's like it's like I have this I have this conservative mind, but I've been helped by social programs my entire life.
1: Yeah, and I think that they they are valuable, they are needed, but I think that um I now sit at a level in nonprofit and community work where I can see how a certain subset of middlemen benefit from less advantaged people not making progress, man, that was so roundabout. How do I say this? If poor people don't become empowered, if they stay on these systems and they don't have opportunities to find their passion or purpose and follow it, then there's a whole subset of our middle class that will cease to exist or know how to make money. Right. And I know those people, they are, they are at my level. I am at that level. I'm supposed to, I work to prevent substance abuse, but if substance abuse ends, I don't have a job. Right. So, and for me that I'm, I hope I work myself out of a job in everything that I've ever done um, yeah. in nonprofit sectors, but I know people Who, whether it's, uh, whether they're cognizant of it or not, are, are not really passionately trying to solve these problems. Um, And they're accepting them as a blight on society that they are like charged with fixing, but not preventing, not, you know, so it's tough. It's really tough.
0: Um, Well, I mean, a lot of people are just throwing like hashtags up, you know what I mean? Like I'll put a black screen up and throw a hashtag and um you know i admire you for going out and doing the work like you're gonna get you're actually running for congress and whether you win or not you're doing things that are you're trying to bring people together you're putting on events that are bringing people together you're starting conversations that are making people think um you know my gift and talent has always been in music so i try to put Things in lyrics I try to put things into my show and I try to lead by example as a person who's you know been through hell with my disability uh, leukemia lost my dad to cancer have had family members on drugs I've been through a lot of stuff and when you go through a lot of stuff you learn a lot of stuff about um, about the system what's broken what what works what doesn't work and so um, you know people always told started telling me I'm an inspiration and I never really knew how to take that. And now that I'm older, I take it as a responsibility. It's a responsibility to for me to go out and do my music and show people that they should pursue their passions.
1: Absolutely. And pursue their passions to their ability and desire. Right, Because right. Like, that's what I, I kind of get resentful sometimes. I had someone from a far right camp. Approach me and say, oh, your story is great. Your this, this was the last election cycle. Right. And I was being a little bit like, I think they were trying to woo me into the young Republicans. And okay. I, he said, oh, your story, like that's a great story to say, like you worked off of welfare. And yeah. I said to him, He's yeah, great that's doll. great. But I had privileges that other people don't. Not everybody is gonna work off welfare. Not everybody can. That's why we need welfare. Right. But if people are willing and capable, don't don't hold them up. You know, yeah. don't don't charge someone ten grand, dude. I have stuff like losing your license; those surcharges. People get into debts with the government that they can never get out of. Yeah, yeah. And from yeah. and then the same government that gives them their earned income tax credit and then takes the thing. Yeah, you know, like the system. The problems are why I'm running as an independent. One of my reasons is, and these will probably pop up during the conversations, less as a list, is that we need representatives who have been at every level of this. Um, And I don't know, I would be curious to know or interested in knowing how many of the people sitting at the federal government writing the budgets and guidelines for welfare programs how many of them had to apply for welfare ever? Right. How many of them ever got told that they needed to refund that money for food from ten months ago because they got a job too soon? And How safe. many of them waited on a housing list for five years and just never got the housing? I mean, I'd say I, I would venture to say it's probably not.
0: Yep, I would. Pro- I would say you're probably right. Yep. Um, it's usually it's a lot. A lot of rich lawyers and uh wealthy people and people with family connections and you know that's it like that's what fascinates me about your candidacy candidacy is like i want to see where it goes i want to like i want to see where it goes with someone who's independent from around here small town um and with the internet there's a lot of ways to get yourself out there and you're still young so there's plenty of times and chances to run again and again and really build a movement behind what we believe in and what we value, which I think is very similar. And it's like, it's, it's like common sense stuff. Like I, I feel like, like you said, I, cause I'm, I've been on disability um, and it's like, okay, you can make, up to this much money but once you make this much money we'll cut your disability off and it's like well there's no like way to transition so it's scary to try and like come off of disability and have a real job because then what if i lose my job or something happens and i can't get back on that disability like you know what i mean it's just like mm-hmm. your, your your life is in the hands of the government and it's like they will drop you with without any question like they're just they'll just drop you through and you'll fall through the, the gaps in the system and the cracks in the system. So it takes people like us to fix those cracks and know to even know where they are.
1: But it's true. I mean, you can't, <clears throat> we are like little ants and peons to people making these decisions. Um, and yeah, that's not the way it should be. Public servants should be people known to be servants and in need of service in their communities, and not to mention, we're supposed to have way more people in the House of Representatives. It's supposed to be like a thirty thousand to one was the first number brought up in like the forming of the nation. We don't have that kind of representation. So really, our counties should have multiple people that go to the federal level to say no, this is what's happening. And I've right. heard the argument: well, that would overclutter things. But if Millions of people can vote for an American Idol. Why can't we have a thousand people in the House of Representatives?
0: It's true, it's true. I mean, it's 2020, there's, there's a lot of ways that things could be streamlined and changed in order to just make it more fair, more equal, um, and to have more representation for people who are poor, People of color, people um, who have been abused by the system for years. Uh, I think now is now with you know, obviously with all the protests and things that are going on, um, it's a lot more nuanced than just like one person, uh, you know, like George Floyd or somebody, you know, like that happening, and it is, it sparks protests. But the real work is heavily detailed, heavily nuanced. And I think that now is the time where people need, I mean, we need to come together more than ever. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it does. I hope that more people like you um, just start trying to run, you know, start putting ideas out there. That's like, you know, with the um, presidential election, I really liked the candidate Andrew Yang because I don't know if he necessarily would have been a great president, but I like that he brought new ideas to the table.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's we don't have ide we don't have deep thinkers representing yeah. us. No, like where where are the philosophers? <clears throat> where are the the spiritual leaders? I mean, not the people that will hold up a book and say, like, if you want to know about me, read these ten simple tips that I don't follow. Um, you have these things. Religion's important. Philosophy is important environmental like connection is important it, you can't have only representatives being people whose primary goal in life is power and wealth right and that's that's part of how we are represented my my right. purpose my goal in life is to have well-adjusted children who improve the world around them and that I have a quiet little spot where I know and love my neighbors and I get to get my hands dirty yeah that's my goal in life I don't want to be rich man. I get so sick of money. I mean, I'll, I pay all my bills on time when I remember, but I don't want to be rich. I don't want to measure yachts. Yeah. I don't, none of that. Exactly. No
0: I'll never be rich because money doesn't mean that much to me. And it probably sounds stupid to say that to some people, but it's like, as long as I have enough to like get, you know, just five and, to buy little things here and there. Like I'm kind of an introvert and a homebody. As long as I can play music. And you know, I my wife is a musician. I'm so blessed that I met her. We're married now. We sit around on the porch and play music with each other. And you know, I I feel wealthy, you know, like we eat well. Um I have a nice nice room. We got a nice computer, nice TV, nice instruments. Like I don't want for anything and so to me, that's, that's wealth, you know, and I'm, I'm in the top 1% as I'm concerned when you consider the, the entire world, um, you mm-hmm. know, people are starving all over, all over the world, all over, even in our own country. So, you know, the, this pandemic has been crazy, but me living out in the country, um, aside from like having to wear a mask to the store and there wasn't some toilet paper for a while, I'm enjoying that there's no planes in the sky and it's quiet outside. Um, So I don't know. And, you know, I think about things and it's just like, there's so much that goes into like propaganda and labeling things and words that we use. I think we need to be more careful about, um, you know, people throw around global warming or climate change and then immediately they go into their corners. But it's like, when did taking care of the environment become like not cool you know what i mean like it doesn't have to be about global warming or climate change or anything it's just be like hey remember like the environment it's our environment let's take care of it it's how is that controversial
1: right gooch i have so many pictures of bugs on my phone i have more pictures of insects on my phone than of my children that's hilarious. I freaking love nature yeah i love it I garden in the wintertime. I get severely depressed. I am very seasonally affected with my mental health. And in the wintertime, I am now surrounded by houseplants. Oh. I love the sun. The sun gives me energy Yeah. in the winter. I have to use a UV lamp to get myself focused during like, and that's to break down mental health stigma. I am a very accomplished person who goes to a like volume two for three months of the year.
0: Yeah. No, I...
1: I've achieved a shit ton of stuff. It was the best thing to be a college student for a decade because I had a, a month and a half long winter break <laughs> it was like so... at, between Christmas and January. I got to literally hibernate. And uh... how do
0: you like those uh, UV lights? They work pretty good or
1: um, it's helpful. It can make you jittery, though. You okay. can't overuse them.
0: Um, I, I think it, get, I get, uh, I get like seasonal depression. I, when I can't go out in the sun, it's not warm. Like I love to be outside. I love to be under my maple tree playing guitar, writing music. And when, when it comes to like winter, I just, yeah, I close up and I'm just like, uh, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm not playing shows. So that's why it was so crazy, um, to go from winter right into the quarantine, um, I started like losing my mind a little bit. And then I just decided, you know what? I'm going to start taking calculated risks. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to wear masks. But I've been like, I went to a church service. There was 25 people or less. It was outside. Um, I've been visiting with like a few friends, a few neighbors, just, you know, spaced out outside doing some cookouts and stuff like that, trying to get back to some sort of normalcy
1: we need that. And that's, that was a missed opportunity in the reopening. I I think if real people, if real people were the leaders right now, we would have said, all right, if you know your hairstylist very well, and they're willing to cut your hair, they can come to your house. Yeah. If you have a parent in assisted living, we're going to allow them to have outdoor visits. If you're, you know, we would have opened up if you have, you know, the, open your social circle to five people outside of your home. Okay, next week open it to five more people. Yeah. That's the smart way to do it and it's the way that we would have done it and felt more comfortable. But to say that one day you can have a no people together, the next Saturday you can have 100, 3 days later you can have 250 and then by the 4th of July 500 people. This is none of that makes any logical sense. Yeah. And, and you're now like, you just threw numbers at the wall.
0: Yeah. And there's
1: no science behind that. When, no yeah.
0: Science. Anytime I see any like medical experts interviews, they all pretty much end with, I don't really know. I don't really know what's going to happen.
1: <laughs> no. But you know what, though? For a world, a world that's been built up so that we have as few, like the fewest possible uncertainties. As humans, we we like take ambigu- like ambiguous topics. We don't like them. We like the black and white, the left and right. the You know, what are the things that we can pick aside or know for sure even? And this whole season of our history is about you don't get to know what's next. And I'm okay with human beings having to say, all right, I don't know what's next, but I know what responsibility I have. Um, and I know what, what should be done for other people, or I'm going to at least ask them how they'd like to see the world. And that's, again, 2020, running for Congress. This is a time. Yeah. The last uh, congressional election in our district, uh, the Jeff Andrews spent $1.8 million on his campaign. Wow. Um, I am trying to spend $4,999 or less. (laughs) Wow. uh, Once you hit five grand in contributions or expenditures, you have to file with the SEC. You have to, you then become a legitimate candidate. So even if I'm on the ballot, I'm not considered by the SEC to be a candidate for office until I spend or accept $5,000 toward my campaign. Really? So I'm not doing that. And it's, I have a point to prove in not looking for any donations or public endorsements. I will not allow an organization to endorse me publicly, or I won't accept an endorsement because I want people to believe I can represent them. I don't want to slander anyone else. I don't want to... Pick a platform and stand on a bunch of vague principles that I don't understand or believe in. Yeah, you just um, like none of that. This, I wanted one conversation at a time, like this. Like, this, do you trust me? Yeah, then please, vote for me. But if you don't, then do what you were going to do. I'm not, I won't argue with anyone for their vote and I won't buy a vote. Not interested in those votes.
0: I, I love to hear that. And I mean, it sounds like exactly what we need. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to take every situation that comes before me and you know me and it's not about what, you know, I stand for these um, purity tests that put me in this party or that party. I'm going to take every situation and everything that comes across the table, judge it on the merits and and move forward and try and try and work with people to create something better than what we have. Um, Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I think that you're, you're really on to something that hopefully will catch fire. Um, Hopefully you can find some, some platforms and some different ways to get your message out there. Um, I'm definitely a supporter and I'm definitely going to look into trying to help you find, you know, just like doing this podcast, hopefully, you know, you can share this with some people and they can just listen and get to know you and, and feel how real you are because, you know, I know you're a real person like me. You're just, you know, putting it all out there. You're not trying to be fancy or live up to some, you know, other person's ideal of what they think you should be. It's just, uh, you know, we, we, we down here in the country
1: no, I'm just me. And I, I had a friend say like, well, what's your campaign strategy? And I was like, well, I'm just going to be myself, but bolder. (laughs) So (laughs) like, you know, I'm going to talk to more, I keep losing my voice Gooch. Like this isn't even my actual voice because I've been having so much conversation because I I really firmly believe that to represent somebody and to have them, I don't want anyone to vote for me because I'm in the particular college. Or because I said I would vote yes on a particular topic. Because all these bills, legislation that passes, no one reads that stuff. This CARES Act, that was all of that spending. All that was, was every single one of those representatives had a, it was, imagine they had a backpack of bricks and each brick was a promise or a favor they owe. And all of a sudden we get a global pandemic and they go, here's my shot. And they start throwing their bricks in the pile.
0: Yeah, never never waste crisis, right?
1: Yeah, nothing to do with any of what was going on. And then throw in this extra $600 a week at people on unemployment. Now I know business owners who could reopen. They're ready, they would love to reopen. But it would be unfair to their employees to take them off of this unemployment. Yeah, because they're
0: making more money on unemployment than they would at their job.
1: Right. And they're calling their bluff. Like, they're they're calling the government's bluff and saying, all right, when I'm not going to be harming someone, I'll reopen my business. Because right now, they're harming their handful of employees. And I'm talking about small business owners. Small business owners, they are... That is family. I don't know... I know you had with your injury and your accident, I, I don't know what your work experiences have been like. I know you're very artistic, but I've, I've worked for all kinds of organizations right. for pro- nonprofit of all different sizes. Yeah. I To be in a small family place is different. I've,
0: I've had, um, you know, I've worked in, I was a chef, going to school to be a chef when I was in high school. So I was in culinary arts school. I worked as a chef. I also worked at um, a campground, a family-owned campground. um, Which one? uh, Four Seasons campground.
1: (laughs) I used to, listen, when I was, real quick, I'll let you finish. (laughs) When I lived in Richton as a little kid, it would get real wild in the summer sometimes. My aunt had a seasonal site with these Airstream trailers on them. My dad would we would live at four seasons in the summer. Dude,
0: there was there was just, there. Yeah. like people we we put on uh like we put on some cool stuff, um like some cool little events and they had the beach there and uh, you know, it was actually a nice little campground. It's I'm sure it still is. And uh, the owners were always real kind. But like you said, fan owned and and uh my mom, she's a hairstylist. She mm-hmm. works at Studio Locks out by um out by the Cowtown rodeo and you know they've been really going through hell because they they're trying to open and like they're telling her she has to wear a glove or a gloves mask and like a face shield just to do people's hair they have one like only can have a certain number of people and it's just like where are you bait what are you basing this knowledge off of where you can you can do this but you can't do that it's just it, uh, i don't know it's it's just scary it's mind-blowing but i think we need more um you know, just common sense and more grounded people to make better decisions on this stuff. I mean, I can't say it's hard, you know, like people are just throwing numbers out. So it's hard to know what to trust. It seems like the numbers are going down in New Jersey and we're starting to flatten the curve. And that's good. But, you know, I don't know who's doing those numbers. So
1: Right. And this so. In studying data, data was a big part of my higher education. I managed two labs while I was in graduate school, got publications. Like, I I really made the most of that. And now in nonprofits, I do a lot of, you know, reporting on grants and looking at, like, data to determine what the next steps are, what the community needs are. I can tell you, it is very easy to make numbers appeal to your
0: art. Right. Yes,
1: Um, It is very easy to phrase a question in such a way that people don't know they're answering in the way you want them to. Some of this is done with like evil intent. (laughs) And some of it is done in terms of how to do data. So, yeah, I don't, I look at a lot of numbers. And I have, because of my my background knowledge, look, my phone's going off. I look at data a lot. I collect data. I report data. Um, A lot of this, there there needs to be a healthy skepticism of of numbers. I lost. lost lost Everyone should. Sorry. So I was saying with data, it's important that when you see numbers, that you approach them with a a a skepticism, not. Don't, don't not believe anything, but look for someone else's study. Look for another, compare multiple so- sources. And then hopefully you'll get to the, you'll get to right. a gist. And then you make your decision on that. Um, single studies are never a thing. single sources are never a thing to, to rely, you know, based all your decisions off of, but people don't know that. And, and again, human nature, we want a quick right. answer. We want to know what we know and move on with our lives because time right. and money. And time, I think I told you this the other day. My new theory is that time and money, it's not even a theory, they're man made concepts. Oh. We didn't come into this world with any sense of time or any accounts. And uh, I don't know, the world's going through a thing. And I'm hoping that more people start to realize that you can take yeah. your time and you can make you can not spend your money without thinking, Yeah. you know? So That's we'll see. <laughs> I hope, I got a hope for this, that sometimes when something burns down, you get a brand new forest. <laughs> right. and...
0: Sometimes you got kind of rebuild it, <laughs> okay. right? Um, I think uh, there was a, there was a Benjamin Franklin had. What did Benjamin Franklin say, Josh? What? The, something about the, liberty? yeah, needs to be brief. Re- and tyrants. Yeah. Uh my buddy, my buddy is here. So say that one more time, Josh.
1: It's, a, it's the
0: uh the tree of the tree liberty. Of, the tree of
1: liberty must be refreshed. Must
0: be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants
1: and tyrants.
0: Mm. Stuff, right? Damn. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's way heavier than like live, laugh, and love. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Put that in the kitchen. <laughs> um, well, but it's true. Dude. We're not when in the course of human events we find it necessary. Yes, when in the course of hu- our founding fathers, as flawed as they were, were men of their time who realized they only lived in a time. And that's what I'm going off of. I have a ton of respect for our founding fathers and their vision and i think that we can dismiss them as like slave owning and out of touch and like not of this century but really there are some basic guiding principles that we can salvage
0: yep, so i think that i think that what you're doing is really uh it's impressive and i hope that people will jump onto it and at the very least start to realize that we can have third-party candidates and we can have people running for office who, you know, like you said, have been through, um, have fallen through the cracks of the system a little bit, and at, have still been able to rise and and accomplish things to become something. So, um, before we finish up here, um, where let people know where they can find you and where they can find stuff about your campaign.
1: All right. So I have, I'm probably most active on my Facebook page, which is Jenna Harvey for New Jersey's second congressional district. Um, you can also do like at Jenna for SJ, Jenna, F O R S J. Um, I also have a website. I am not a web design person, but I, I went ahead and started a website that's Jenna for SJ.com. So Jenna F O R S J.com. Um, Again, I'm not. I'm not doing a traditional campaign. Um, I'm just putting myself out there a little bit louder than I would, and seeing how it goes. So I have to file a petition with 100 signatures by July 7th, which is the same day as the uh, party primary votes. Okay. Um, I believe I have like I have about 60 signatures on paper. Um, but I have way more than that pledged. It's just a matter of finding the time and work and parenting and COVID Gosh. and civil unrest to get well. up. So if anyone wanted to sign that in support, um, they can go on the website. I'm going to put a PDF of the single yeah, signature. It- Someone could print that, sign it, and email yeah. it back to me. and when If you, you
0: put a PDF out there, I'll happily share it and try to get you some signatures because I believe in the cause. I believe in what you're doing. I think you're a really down-to-earth person, and, um, you know, you get shit done. So, at the end of the day, that's really what we need.
1: Yeah, thank you. And, again, I'm going to... I, I, I kind of took a pause from pushing the campaign because I I became more vocal and involved in um, these marches since George right. Floyd, um, and so I didn't want to make that about a campaign. So when I go to those, I don't mention. I try not to mention the campaign unless I am getting into conversation right. with someone. Um, but even when I've been asked to speak, I don't mention it. So I did take a backseat because I I think that there there are bigger conversations to yeah. be had.
0: I- I mean, you're trying to make change where, you know, change really needs to be made. And sure, um, you know, you can protest, you can put stuff on Facebook, you know, you can do a lot of things like that. But if you really want to make change, you have to get your hands dirty and you have to get in there and and fight for it.
1: Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do. I figure if someone is meant to vote for me and I'm the right candidate for them they might remember me from one of these events and, and find out I'm running later. And that's the way I'd like for it to happen. I don't want to make it a political rally ever. So I will, I'll be picking up the pace. I have a postcard, a series of, um, if someone goes on the Facebook or Instagram, also Jennifer SJ, I have, a. I have some social media posts that can be shared out. Um, and a lot of those are going to be part of a postcard campaign where people will mail directly to their contacts postcards about my campaign. I can't afford a mass mm-hmm. mailer and I find them to be ineffective ways to create right. litter. Well, so we have, we, we have the, <laughs> you want yeah, 10 postcards yeah, to mail? We have cause. the
0: internet now, so I think you you, know, you should be able to reach people that way and, and maybe doing some Facebook lives and doing some things like that would would maybe be helpful for you.
1: Yeah. And I'll keep doing that. And so if you, anyone with suggestions, um, for support and getting that out there, I'll take all the help I can get. I just, I'm not paying anybody for it. Can, <laughs> all volunteers
0: volunteer. And all people who just want to come together and help the cause and, uh, I'm down for it. So I like what you do and I appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking with me and catching up a little bit and, uh, I'll make sure I post, you know, where, where to find you and, and we'll, uh, we'll get you those hundred signatures in no time.
1: All right. Awesome. Thank you. Let's talk again. Yeah, soon, sounds good.
0: I'll, I'll stay in touch for sure. So, um, Good luck with everything, and like I said, I'll be in touch, and I definitely want to help you with this, and I'm wishing you all the luck in the world, and thank you for being on the
1: Motion Podcast. All right, right, take care.